it is a bit, uh, you know, as, as the Harvey Dent line in Dark Knight goes, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I know that's a bit of a cliche because it's not like Louis Philippe Vieta only did the allegedly bad stuff in, in the latter end of his career. But oh, I yeah. That- oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Matt. Yeah, sure. Sorry. It's like, yeah, you know, if I, that, there are still people, lots of Benfica fans, and you hear it a lot, who say, you know, it's absolutely terrible what's happened. You know, can't wait right. to see the back of him, but give him his due. He was probably Benfica's, he did overall, did do a tremendous job for them, for Benfica over many years. Just the way that has ended, the way it's ended, which is really, you know, you know, it's been very sour for him. I mean, you have to look at the big picture. You know, I mean, obviously so many Benfica fans are opposed to LFP for not going for the jugular because really at the time, and I don't think I'm exaggerating this, Benfica really could have been a Portuguese Bayern or a Portuguese Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, they were that much ahead of the competition. You know, part of that, you have to give a ton of credit for LFE. Frankly, I think renovating the Seychelles Academy and for making it really a world-class facility, but also for, you know, the way he ran the club for recruitment. I don't want to be accused of being, you know, an LFV defender because I do think that, you know, he, he definitely was responsible for a lot of the corruption for basically turning Benfica into a bit of a uh, cash cow for his personal fortunes. But you have to look at the big picture and take the good and the bad. Overall, an era is over in Portuguese football with Luis Felipe Vieira uh, departing. And it potentially has some interesting implications for Benfica with regards to the elections that will happen, I believe. I'm not sure if it'll happen at the latter end of this year or next year but yeah he said Rui Costa has promised the fans that they will be held before the end of this calendar year so uh, potentially let's say December or so the last one was I believe October 27th October 26th it's clear that Rui Costa is not staying in power as a um, let's say LFV's deputy shall we say for for much longer but we'll see what happens and if he has much in the way of competition it'll be interesting to see if Juan Noronha Lopes does run because he seemed like, you know, a decent competitor to Luis Felipe Vieira last year. Ended up getting, I think, 30% of the vote or around that. It wasn't really a, a nail-biter of a contest, but uh, I'd be interested to see if he, if he runs again. Moving out of politics for a second, moving back to football, what do you make of Benfica for this coming season? Because they have had quite a, a busy transfer window. Nuno Tavares departing to Arsenal, being replaced by Gil Diaz from Monaco. Suali Homete coming in from Torino after the club failed to sign Al Musrati from Braga. Bit a few more deals, I think, well... Obviously, Roman Yaremchuk coming in from Ghent after his very impressive Euros for Ukraine. That's one that I'm really excited to see. Uh, Rodrigo Pino coming in on a free transfer from Marichimo. It seems, at least to my point of view, and of course, João Mario coming in after winning the title of sporting. In my point of view, it seems like, okay, Benfica, they still need to thin out their squad quite a bit. Uh, This is a pretty bloated team. But even with the likely departures coming in the next few weeks, I just think that this team has a lot of quality and a lot of options. And, you know, I'm not sure if I consider them favorites to win the title, I would say at the moment, I think they're a better squad than they were last season, looking at likes of Yaremchuk and Mario coming in. Uh, What do you make of Benfica for this coming season under Jorge Jesus? 
Yeah, I agree. You know, really strong squad. You can't argue with that squad, you know. Uh, and of course, last season, this time last season, we were all saying, you know, Benfica, huge favourites to, to win the league. You know, she, she just had to come back. They just spent 100 million uh, on reinforcements. And so, you know, that their squad hasn't disintegrated at all. Most of that squad is intact. Of course, they did lose Ruben Diaz early in the season, mainly as a result of losing out in the Champions League. So they had to, to get some cash back. Uh, but yeah, you know, this is a really really strong squad and I think also perhaps their biggest weakness last season was in the centre of midfield like you said Zach they've got a huge squad they've got they've got loads of options even there in centre of midfield and they did have last season but I think that was even a bit to their detriment because he just kept chopping and changing you know very unlike George Jesus who's normally you know very kind of committed to one idea and then sticks with it but I remember last season in central midfield you know all sorts of players getting used coming in coming out you had Gabriel you had Tabat you had you know Chiquinho occasionally you had Samaris when he when he was fit uh, Fagel he was probably the only kind of you know solid player who played all season Gabriel I think you know really kind of divided fans as well uh, he, he's always divided fans he kind of seems to blow really hot and cold uh, and of course Pizzi as well always a good performer for Benfica but even he was a little bit in and out of the side last season that really seemed to be a bit of a, a problem for them now they've gone and got Joao Mario you know let's not forget that he probably produced his best ever football when playing for Jorge Jesus uh, in 2016 in the 15-16 season at Sporting when uh, you know he was absolutely brilliant that season and uh, of course went on to play a key role for Portugal uh, winning Euro 2016 on the back of that season even in the pre-season friendlies for Benfica he's been playing uh, you know all the time I think Jesus will kind of almost build a team around him and uh, you know Vagel again very good last season Benfica had a disastrous season last season but I'd say Possibly two players you could say were a success, which uh, I think was uh, Julian Fagel, who just, you know, really showed the kind of potential that everyone thought he had when Benfica first signed him really came on excellent last season and uh, and the right back Diogo Gonçalves again really impressed with him last season so I think I agree with you they've got a really strong all-round squad I'd say it's quite an unbalanced squad I mean they've got a ridiculous like <laughs> you're talking about fitting it out I think we're talking about a cull here Zach because yep. uh, for forwards it's just absolutely outrageous I've just pulling up the list here they've got Darwin Nunes okay they've just bought Yarem Chuk so you're going to think that he's going to be their first choice striker spent 17 million on him they've got Carlos Vinicius they've got uh, got Rodrigo Pino like you've just said Seferovic top scorer last season you know joint top scorer along with Pedro Gonçalves uh, just to correct you Tom I believe he yeah. was uh, one goal behind Pedro ah okay okay yeah yeah uh, Luca Waldschmidt uh, of course he you know he looked really good at times last season so and, and this of course is not to talk about the player who's perhaps been their best striker in preseason, Gonzalo Ramos. And of course, we, we all know that the, the reputation George Jesus has of really not trusting uh, young Portuguese players or youth players. Poor old Gonzalo Ramos, you can't really see him get, getting much of a chance, uh, you know, getting much of a sniff in this chance. It might be better for him to, you know, to be loaned out somewhere. There's talk of Vinicius being sold and you'd have to think they, they really have to sell at least two, possibly three of their forwards because, you know, everyone knows that having really unhappy players, uh, you know, 
these are all those players I mentioned. Most of them are players who, you know, would walk into, you know, a huge majority of sides. And so you've got to think that they won't be very happy, you know, just being on the sidelines the whole time. So they really have to sort that out. And uh, and also this, you know, the midfielders who I I mentioned last season, they use so many. You know, how is he going to resolve that problem? I think João Mario will be playing, presumably Meiti, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name, you know, the new French signing, he will presumably be, you know, playing a big part as well. I know that Samaris has been kind of frozen out already and Gabriel, I believe, uh, Tarap, to be interesting to see if he, if he still has a chance. And then of course, going back to the old youth question, you've got Florentino Luiz, who again is a player who he had so many admirers a couple of seasons ago when he played a big role in the in the championship triumph and the Bruno Lage really looked like he did you know he was he set up for a tremendous future him and Jetson Fernandez and uh, but both of those you know will just just keep them in the squad uh, if he does will they see any playing time you know there there's quite a lot of question marks uh, around there but looking at the whole squad. As you know, looking at the squad as a whole, yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right, uh, Zach. You know, this is just dripping quality, really, right through the squad. And if uh, JJ does get it together, you know, and I, you know, I, I really do truly believe he's a brilliant coach. You know, last season was a horrible season for Benfica, but uh, you know, he hasn't really lost his coaching powers. I'm pretty sure of that. And so, uh, you know, if he, he he really has got a chance to mould this into a very very strong team. I yeah I agree with pretty much all you said. Although I I do think that Gonzalo Ramos has impressed in preseason. I think that he will get his chance, um, especially with I think the record claiming that Carlos Vinicius will leave uh, will join Eintracht Frankfurt on loan with an option to buy it in 20, 25 million euros. That's 20, 20 million euros less than what uh, the option was when he was at Tottenham. So a chance of him finally leaving on a permanent transfer. Um, as well as Darwin Nunes being linked to a move uh, to Brighton, I think uh, that would be. Uh, it, it's a bit. It's a bit tricky from Benfica's perspective because um, you know when they signed him from Almeria last summer for I believe it was twenty three million euros. Uh, he was I think at that time the most expensive, maybe still is the most expensive uh, transfer in Portuguese football history. Um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, I believe that Luis Felipe Vieira said at the time that he, he, we're going to sell him for, for more than we sold Felix for, for draw Felix. Um, but you know, Darwin kind of struggled in his first season in Portugal to adapt, um, now linked with a move to Brighton who have reportedly tabled a bid of 30 million euros. Benfica have uh, reportedly rejected that, holding out for forty million. Um, I do think that you know failure to qualify for the Champions League, failure to get past Spartak Moscow, and and qualify for the Champions League uh, for the second straight year uh, would definitely cause them to 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 be a lot more desperate financially and potentially sell Darwin uh, to Brighton. Um, I would say, I, I think that, you know, potentially around 35 million uh, could do the trick. Uh, the issue, though, is that Almeria have a 20% sell-on clause, I believe. Um, so, you know, you, if you sell him for 35 million, then, you know, I believe that 
let's see if I do the math correctly. Uh, okay, so then Almeria would get seven million from that, um, and Benfica, I believe, would only take twenty-eight million. So kind of a marginal profit. So, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, I, I do think there will be some major outgoings. You know, Alex Grimaldo linked with a move abroad. Um, Lazio, actually, from Maurizio Sarri, Maurizio Sarri's Lazio linked with Grimaldo. That'll be interesting. Um, so it's hard to say, you know, who will stay, who won't. Um, but, Tom, what are we making tactically of this Benfica team? Um, George Jesus went with kind of a back three in the latter end of last season with with Lucas Verissimo coming in from, from Santos and, you know, Verissimo partnering uh, Nicolas Otamendi and Jean Vertonghen uh, in that back three. Um, I think that, you know, the way the squad is looking right now, I mean, it's a bit weird because you've got about, you've got about seven center forwards in the squad. Um, <laughs> with like Gonzalo Ramos, Luca Waldschmidt, uh, obviously, I think Carlos Vinicius and potentially Darwin will leave, but she's still got a lot of center forwards. And yet, you know, I'm not even sure if Benfica like that would make that would make somewhat that would make sense. I mean, it would still be bloated, but it would make a bit of sense if Benfica were playing with two center forwards. I'm not even sure if they will be playing center forwards. I, I'm not even sure if they will play, be playing with two center forwards. I think that there's a good chance of you know potentially Seferovic or Yaremchuk. Uh, starting at the nine, and then Everton, uh, Everton Suarez and and Rafa playing alongside him in attack. So you know, two wingers and one striker. Uh, I'm I'm not really sure. I think it could go either way. Um, I do think at the for the time being that that Jesus will will continue with his back three. But uh, yeah, it's it's a bit tricky. What do you what do you think is going? What do you think this Benfica team is going to look like uh, tactically? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's so many options. Uh, you, uh, you know, you, you, you've got to think also they've got uh, the, the fullbacks they've got. They kind of suit, uh, you know, the five at the back system, isn't it? Or three at the back, uh, you know, because uh, and also their centre-backs, you know, very, very high quality centre-backs, all of them. Felicimo looked really good, actually. I have to say, when he came in, I mentioned the players who did well for Benfica last season. I forgot to mention him. I think he... He did very well when he did come uh, over from Brazil. And then, you know, you've got Vertonghen and Otamendi who, you know, okay, they're veterans, but no one can really doubt their quality. And uh, I think we've mentioned this before, you know, centre-back is probably the one position where you can kind of get away with, uh, you know, playing well into your mid-30s at a very high level. I mean, just look at Pep. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, and so they've got three very good centre-backs and then they've, their fullbacks, they're kind of naturally offensive. You know, Grimaldo, not the best. It's interesting uh, hearing those rumours, Zach, because uh, I've always had my doubts about Grimaldo because I just don't think he's a very good defender. But going forward, uh, you can't argue. You know, very, very good. Links up really well with the with the attack. Very good crosser of the ball. Also good at set pieces. Uh, so, uh, and then on the other side, Diogo Gonçalves, who looked fantastic, you know, in that kind of wing-back position last season. And, uh, and then if, you know, he's actually been injured a while and Gilberto has played, uh, who, again, Gilberto, I'd say quite similar to Grimaldo, not the best defender, but pretty good going forward. And so, uh, so yeah, they have kind of got a system to play that three at the back 
George de Sousa throughout his time at Portugal, in, you know, at Benfica, and uh, I think generally has, has always preferred to play 4-4-2. It's, it's been quite kind of uh, steadfast in that, you know, in that being his go-to uh, tactical setup. And I remember, you know, all those years of success at Port at, uh, at Benfica, it was almost always 4-4-2, you know, um, Usually Oscar Cardozo up front, and then just kind of changing his partners. I remember, you know, Lima and uh, uh, earlier on at Sabiola and players like that. You would, it's almost always two up front, even up uh, when he's when he came to to Sporting. Of course, it was uh, most of the time he played with two up front as well. So, and you know, so many centre forwards like we've mentioned. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I really don't know the answer to that, uh, Zach. He's got got the squad to play the two systems. I suppose it's just going to be a question of wait and see. Yeah, it is really wait and see. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's switch gears to, to Porto, though, because you know Porto, coming off a season that was um, a bit disappointing, You know, it seemed like they were going to... Uh, continue their their dominance under Sergio Conceição, but uh, finishing second to Sporting and uh, yeah, failing to win a trophy. I believe um, they have made some moves. They brought in Pepe from Grêmio, uh, Bruno Costa coming in after his impressive spell at Passo Chifreira, Fabio Cardoso, another player who, you know, impressed for a mid-table side in Santa Clara coming in to reinforce the defense. And uh, Marco Grujic, actually, coming in from Liverpool for a pretty hefty fee. I believe a total of 11 million, I think a 1 million euro loan fee and uh, either 10 or 11 million euros for to make it permanent. Uh, an obligation to buy um, that that that's an interesting deal as well. Not much in the way of outgoings. Uh, Musa Marega has left for Al Hilal, although I think you'd find a lot of Porto fans would say that's more of a plus than a than a negative. <laughs> um, maybe that's being weird. I don't know. Um, Porto B making a few interesting transfers, such as Joao Peglo from Internacional, and uh, actually California made Sebastian Soto coming in on loan to from from Norwich um but overall it seems like you know in comparison to Benfica definitely more of a quiet window um not much in the way of departures not much in the way of outgoings either um but yeah what what are you making of this Porto team going into this season um and yeah how 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 much of a threat do you think they pose to uh, Benfica and, and Sporting? Yeah, it's it's interesting, actually. I think you can say that across the board. That there really hasn't been that much movement in in any of the, the big clubs in Portugal, which is quite unusual. You know, you normally see five, six, seven players in, five, six, seven players out. And, uh, you know, quite often, you know, main players or big signings and, you know, some of the main players from the previous season leaving. And you really haven't seen that this season. So I think that also makes it interesting. And I think hopefully, uh, I'm thinking that could actually increase the quality of the football, you know, that being uh, same coach, same squad, you know, uh, getting used to each other, getting used to each other's ideas, uh, teammates getting used to playing with each other. Hopefully that will 
uh, you know, help, especially from the European club football point of view, to help, you know, increase the quality a little bit of the of the Portuguese teams in general. Uh, as for Porto, yeah, I mean, how do you uh, how do you assess last season? It's, a, it's another good question. You know, they didn't win anything, which automatically, I suppose, if you're a Porto fan and you don't win anything, that has to go down as a poor season. But uh, you know, they were really in you know chasing for the championship right until last two or three game last yeah about last three journadas and uh, and also of course we can't forget their Champions League uh, really exploits they absolutely fantastic in that competition right away through it from the group stage through the knockout stages even really gave Chelsea a run for their money I think uh, that first leg especially of the quarterfinals which Chelsea won two 0 I think Porto were a bit very unlucky that game. I think they were probably the better side. So, uh, so yeah, you know that's kind of I think given uh, given Conceição a bit more credit in the bank, and of course winning two championships in four seasons with arguably an inferior squad to Benfica gives him also a lot of credit in the bank. Uh, so yeah, what's going to happen this season? It's going to be very interesting. I think. Uh, I think Porto got, again, a very strong side. One thing which excites me about this Porto side is their their wingers, especially. Now, there's been a, quite a lot of talk about uh, Jesus Corona. Uh, he might be sold because I think he's just got one year left in his contract. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we've seen this happen with Porto a lot in recent years. Players just run out, run down their contract and then leave for nothing. And he's really a top-quality player Corona has been superb. Definitely, I'd say the player of the season in Portugal for the season prior to the last one. Uh, and, you know, just really good performer. And then you've got Luis Diaz, who really, even last season, he showed flashes of, of brilliance. And judging by what he did in the uh, Copa America, he really is just ready to explode. And of course, we've got Francisco Conceição, who again is really looks like he's, you know, he's, he's really primed to, to make a big impact. He's only 18, so perhaps he won't get, you know, uh, guaranteed playing time, but that's three really exciting wingers. And then the player who I would argue is probably the, the most complete centre-forward uh, in Portugal, which is uh, Mehdi Taremi, the uh, Iranian. So, you know, really, really strong attacking options. Uh Another thing to watch out for in Porto this season is we just talked a while ago and we, people talk again and again and again about George Jesus and his kind of reluctance to play youth and, uh, you know, talented young Portuguese players. Uh, I think Conceição has got a little bit away with it because you could level the exact same accusation at him. And, uh, you know, we're talking here, Porto, about uh, a team that won the UEFA Youth League uh, a couple of seasons ago, two or three seasons ago. And really none of those players have been used to the benefit of Porto, you know, in terms of their, in terms of their first team. And I know, you know, a lot of Porto fans are quite critical of this, you know, I suppose, especially in the light of what Sporting did last season, you know, where their youth players played such a big role in, in winning the league. So it's going to be interesting to see if they get more playing time. Of course, some 
other nuances in that is one of the best young players happens to be the coach's son. So <laughs> presumably he'll play. But if he does play a lot, will that kind of lead to accusations of, you know, nepotism or, you know, favoritism? And then you've got, uh, and, but then you've got players like, uh, you know, Fabio Vieira. Again, absolutely fantastic player, great talent. The tournament at the U21 years. Yeah, exactly. But he doesn't really seem to uh, to be a favourite of Conseil-Sales. Uh, I don't think I'm being unfair then. He just hasn't really yeah. you know, played much. Uh, Vitor Ferreira, of course. Uh, uh, Vitinha, who's, again, uh, just been some brilliant performances for Portugal under-21s. Even as pre-season, he's, he's looked very good in some of the games. Will he stay? Will he leave? You know, quite a lot of rumours there that Porto are really just looking to, to move him on to, you know, to try and help their finances. Uh, one interesting one, again, talking about young players, João Mario, who was actually a right winger, has been converted to a right back uh, in the pre-season friendlies and has been really good, really impressive. You know, one of Porto's best players in the pre-season friendlies. So perhaps that's one who might kind of make the grade. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see this Porto side. I think overall, uh, you know, again, really strong squad. I, I tell you, Zach, I really find it difficult to split the top three, uh, you know, the, the three traditional contenders this season. I think they've all got the potential to be, you know, really strong sides. I can't really say one's stronger than the other. I, yeah, I could, not, I could not agree more. It does seem like it'll be an incredibly balanced fight. Uh, for the title between the three, between the big three. Um, and yeah, I think that you made some very shrewd points. I mean, Sergio Conceição, I, I think that you would be, you would struggle to find a coach in Europe who has uh, mismanaged as much young talent as Conceição. I mean, when you look at his record with uh, players from the Olival Academy line, players such as Vitor Ferreira, uh, and Fabio Vieira, you know, probably the two biggest stars of of, of Portugal's run to the U21 Euros final. Um, neither of them have really been able to get a game in uh, under under Port, under Conceição at, at Porto. Um, and yeah, I mean, even Luis Diaz, probably the best player, in, in my opinion, the best player um, of the Copa America, not named Lionel Messi or Neymar. Uh, the fact is, it's 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 hilarious how you know he was just so good in the Copa, and yet he really wasn't even a regular starter for Porto last season. Um, yeah, it was typically you typically had Otavio and Tecatito on the wings with Sergio Oliveira um, and and Mateo Suribe. Like you're 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 not you're you're not starting players with the quality of Fabio Vieira and Luis Diaz all to just, you know, finish second, like quite a few points behind Sporting, you know. I don't know if you can really justify that. I don't know. I think Yeah, that- I agree, Zach. I agree. Sorry, just to... No, no, in, no, no, Zach, no. But yeah, I agree absolutely on, D- on Diaz because last season, even when he did, you know, it wasn't kind of the case of, oh, he gave him a few minutes and he didn't do anything. Even when he did play, he was, he was almost always excellent when I saw him. I remember a brilliant goal he scored against Manchester City, I think, in the, in the Champions League early on. I also remember a, a game, I think it was against Maritimo away, which is always a bit of a tricky 
yeah. fixture and it seemed to be getting, uh, you know, Porto really struggling there. He scored brilliant overhead kick as well. So, so yeah, when he did get the chance, you know, he really was producing the goods. So, so yeah, but I don't really think there's any excuse this year. I think it, you know, it'd be very surprising if Luis Diaz isn't a regular. And yeah, that's why, in my opinion, like, if I was in charge of Porto, I would be doing everything I can to sell Jesus Corona. Um, it may sound a bit silly because he was the player of the season just, what, two seasons ago uh, in Portugal. But I think that Tecatito, you know, he's, he's he has one year left on his contract, just like uh, Chancel Mbemba, actually, who I would also be trying to move on and, and try to get for a fee. Um, if, if, if Between the two, though, I would, I would rather... I would rather have Mbemba leave on a free transfer just because I think that he's 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 a lot he's he's more important right now uh, than than Tecatito. Well, maybe not more important, but I think that he's he's less uh, replaceable, shall we say? Um, Tecatito, twenty-eight years old, and I mean, if you can get, I think a solid fee like ten, fifteen million, maybe ten million. Uh, considering the fact that he's one year left on his contract and, you know, reinvest that into your squad and be able to, you know, not have any major departures for the final weeks of the transfer window. I think you do that. Um, you know, I, I watched Mexico at the Gold Cup. I, I, there were some, there were quite a few players that I was impressed with. I wasn't really impressed with Tegatito though. I thought he was, he, he, you know, with Raul Jimenez and Herving Lozano out, he, it seemed like he was going to be the attacking star, but he really just didn't take that opportunity by the scruff of his neck. Um, but apart from that, just looking at the quality in Porto's attack, okay, you've got Fitinha, you've got Fabio Vieira, you've got Otavio, Luis Diaz, uh, João Peglo coming in from Internacional, very highly rated uh, Brazilian attacking midfielder. You've got Francisco Conceição, Pepe coming in from Grêmio. Uh, you've just got a ton of talent. And frankly, I think that if you can sell Tecatito, uh, you know, reinvest that into your squad, and, uh, and you know, not have to sell any more major players. I think you do that. I, I think that that would make shrewd sense. And, and also, it would open up the door for the likes of Vitinha, Fabio Vieira, so on, so on, to, uh, to, to win a starting spot. But, yeah, I mean, overall, I think that Conceição has done a very poor job of, of integrating uh, a cat, of integrating homegrown talent into the first team. Um, you do have to give him a bit of credit for, for João Mario, you know, the, the other João Mario, um, one of the less heralded players of that uh, UEFA Youth League uh, victors in, in 2019, coming in, playing out of position and, and thriving, I would say, at right back. Um, but it is, it is a bit interesting, though. I mean, playing João Mario at right back, you have two, you had two very highly uh, homegrown talents who are natural right backs and Gonzalo Estevez and Tomas Estevez. Gonzalo decided to leave Porto um, after a few years at the club and join Sporting on a free transfer this summer. And that's with that's with Pedro Porro and uh, Pedro Porro and Ricardo Escayo already at the club. So you know, Porto and Descayo, I would argue, much better competition than, you know, Manafa, Nanu, Cajasa, um, who Porto have at right back. I, I don't think there's any debate. So the fact that Gonzalo would leave Porto and and join Sporting with, you know, much stronger competition ahead of him, I, I think it definitely speaks to the 
the contrasting um, environments for for youth players at Sporting and Porto that have been established by Ruben um, Amorim and Sergio Conceição. Um, same thing goes with Gonzalo's brother Tomas Estevez, who you know is currently looking for a departure potentially to Braga. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, it is it is very wide open, and uh, I, I'm really excited to see what happens with this league title. Um, I would love to go over Santa Clara, Paso Chifera, pretty much every team in, in Liga B-Win, but uh, I don't want to take up your entire day. Um, and I want to close off this by, by talking about we, – so we always do a talent of the week section, but um, obviously there's, there's no league matches going on. But what is one player that you think will be the, the biggest surprise of this season? Yeah, good question. Uh... Okay, I'm going to pick out a player who well, you just mentioned the club there, Famalicão, who really impressed me last season. Uh, Spaniard, Ivan uh, mm. Jaime, I think you pronounce it Jaime, Ivan uh, Jaime, if you were pronouncing it in English <laughs> way. Uh, but uh, yeah, Ivan Jaime, yeah, really, really skillful player. Uh, 20 years old, very young, but uh, just got everything you know got everything uh very young kind of slightly it's kind of spanish style players they seem to produce you know time and time again quite slight quite small but uh midfielder but just even so it's just got the ability i think to absolutely run a game and uh so quick so smart in his in his uh, his passing and his movements, his touch is just exquisite. And uh, yeah, I think he is definitely one to watch. Actually, I was quite surprised that uh, you know none of the bigger clubs went in for him. But I suppose you know he is still very young, twenty years old. They're probably you know waiting to see if he continues to develop. But yeah, that's definitely one I'll be keeping an eye on. The uh, family cow number ten, Ivan Hamey. Great choice. Jaime um, has impressed me quite a bit. I think against um, I think against Sporting, actually, he had a fantastic match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. You know, one of the best players on the pitch. Um, and yeah, Famalicao, they have had quite a few big moves, quite a few big transfers. They definitely come, you know, become arguably the best stepping stone club in Portugal. I mean, looking at... Um, you know, Huben Vinagre getting a move to Sporting on the back of his loan. Ed Famalicão, uh, you know, joining up with, you know, and of course, Manuel Ugarte, um, likely to join Sporting, you know, joining up with Pedro Gonçalves. Uh, there have really been a ton of, you know, great young players who have, uh, who, who have developed at Famalicão and, and made that leap. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, for sure with, with Jaime. I, I'm very impressed with him. Um, and I think that with Ugarte uh, probably leaving this summer, I think he's going to play a massive role at Famalicão. So really glad you mentioned him. Um, so my player that I'm going to go with is a player on another solid stepping stone club um, in Portugal, and his name is Hidemasa Morita. Hidemasa Morita. Um, I'm not sure, Tom, I believe... I think you may have mentioned him uh, in a previous podcast that we did together on Cortelinias. I'm I'm not 100% sure. Or actually, no, I think you mentioned his, his Santa Clara teammate, uh, Lincoln, who yeah. was right. an incredibly talented player. Um, yeah, Santa Clara, they, 
you know, a club in the Azores, they've done a great job of exporting players um, and, you know, developing them. Fabio Cardoso uh, joining Porto this summer um, and reinforcing their, their back line. Uh, you've got Carlos Jr., uh, linked with a move um, abroad as well. Uh, Zaidu Sanusi joining Porto as well. Uh, Thiago uh, Santana going to Japan. Yeah, a lot of players who um, have used Sakara as a stepping stone and, and have taken that leap. I think that Hida Masa Morita will be the next one. Um, so, yeah, Morita is a uh, I believe 26 years old um, and Japanese international joined from Kawasaki Frontale in, in January and really quickly became a star in this uh, Santa Clara side. Um, and, you know, we've seen his quality um, in, in both, both in the league, mat, both in uh, domestic matches, but, but also in Europe. Also in Europe. I mean, Santa Clara are playing uh, European football right now. Um, they, you know, they recently beat... I believe it was a, a Macedonian club. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I think that they will be playing um, – they, they, they will be playing Europe this season. Um, and I think that Morita can definitely use both the, both the Liga B win season as well as Europe to, to show just how good he is. He's a really interesting midfielder. Um, with a lot of quality to receive between the lines and and break the lines with his passing, um, he's just he's just so classy on the ball, um, and I, I definitely think that he will be. Uh, he he he's been linked with a move to Saudi Arabia, but I think he'll probably end up uh, he'll probably end up staying at Santa Clara for at least another another few months, potentially leaving in January. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's 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 been interesting to see how he does. He's he's a very complete midfielder, you know, capable of of winning the ball back and and winning uh, ground duels. But also really impressive, both you know, building up possession in the final third, but also in the in the first third. Um, I really like Morita a lot. I think he's a really promising midfielder. Um, and yeah, it's 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 interesting as well because. Um, because I mean, uh, Portimonense have been the team that's that's been more of the the Japanese exporter, shall we say? You know, players such as uh, Kokianzai and Shoya Nakajima. But it it does seem like a lot more Liga Liga B win sides are are catching up to this phenomenon of of Japanese players and and snapping them up for cheap fees and then selling them. So I think that I think that Morita. Uh, in many ways, it could be the next the next player to leave Santa Clara and, and make that jump. Obviously, a lot of other um, promising talents such as Carlos Jr. and Lincoln who could do the same. But yeah, I really like Morita. I would I would keep an eye on him. Um, do you have any any thoughts on Morita? Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's like you know, really nice player. Again, yeah, I remember uh, again the game at Alvalade here, sporting against. Uh, Santa Clara and he really impressed in that game him and yeah I like Lincoln as well but yeah both fantastic talents and good shout as well about the uh, the general kind of uh, trend towards uh, bringing in Japanese players in Portugal and they you know they seem to be doing pretty well uh, of course uh, um, 
Shokajima at uh, at Porto Menence was was really the start. It's, it's a shame to see how his uh, career kind of just fell off a cliff <laughs> when he uh, when he when, when he entered it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he ended up moving to Porto, because yeah, super player. But yeah, they've they've got, yeah, Morita, really good player, another good Japanese player, Gil uh, Vicente, I think Fujimoto. So uh, so yeah, it's quite an interesting trend, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think that just about does it. Um, thank you so much every, for, to everybody for listening uh, to the to the first episode of new season of Cortalinas. We will be providing you know weekly podcasts on all things Portuguese football, um, and you know just an um, absolute pleasure to have uh, Tom Cundert, really the godfather of English language uh, Portuguese football content, on the show. Definitely, we'll be having you back soon. Uh, so, you know, enjoy your time in Paris and the Algarve. Recharge your batteries because, you know, once, once you're back in, 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 in Lisboa, I'm definitely having you on again.